So we're looking at Matthew chapter 21. They are, the, the narrative of Palm Sunday is, you can find it in uh, the other Gospels as well, but I thought we'd look at Matthew 21, and we'll look at verse 1 to 13. I had some pictures up here from uh, pictures from around the world of how people celebrate Palm Sunday, starting from my own uh, hometown. Uh, but unfortunately, the projector is not working today. But this is an occasion that's celebrated around the world, as you might know. Um, in, in the particular context of my hometown, people, children, uh, parents, everybody go out in the street. The roads are blocked from cars and there's a procession of sorts with uh, palm leaves and some of them grabbing like banana leaves, <laughs> whatever works, uh, whatever looks most similar to palm leaves. And they go up the, down the streets and proclaim Hosanna and uh, sing songs. Uh, you might also know that like in Philippines, there's a more um, hardcore kind of uh, event that happens in some places where there's actually somebody being like taken, not quite on Good Friday, but uh, during, uh, not quite on Palm Sunday, but on Good Friday, there's a procession where somebody's actually being crucified like hung on the cross and carried across the street um, which is intense yeah and then there's other things like there was one picture that I found on you could probably find it in Guardian uh, from 2017 I think a very stunning picture of uh, Palm Sunday being celebrated in one of the churches in Iraq after after ISIS has been uh, sort of uh, removed from the city the first time in many years that Christians could gather in that church and such a beautiful uh, location and beautiful image um, with so much meaning in that places in Pakistan in Belarus uh, Philippines Rome right people all around the world are remembering this day and I think it's something it feels special to be joining in with believers from around the world right not just in today like but uh, from uh, the earliest uh, ancient um, first few centuries um, I learned that the first record of the Passion Week being celebrated was being observed was comes from a letter written by a lady, uh, Egeria, from 380 AD. Um, so it was um, Passion Week as as a an event to remember Christ is being observed from way back, and it's such a special thing that we get to join and be a part of that. Of course, you may be involved in, you may do this as well, but you may know others who are like fasting or observing Lent more intentionally, um, having more religious significance in this. Of course, we don't necessarily do that as a church. And especially with our ongoing work, especially for me this year, is like I didn't even realize it's already Palm Sunday, it's like already Palm, I mean, Passion Week. There's like so much things going on and with our ongoing duties and challenges, it is kind of hard, but also, Precisely because of that, I think it's nice to have a think about it, to be more intentional as we approach this uh, Passion Week, um, joining in with millions of people around the world to quieten our senses. Uh, the, the meaning of fasting essentially is to cut few things from our life uh, that clutters us and help us to focus more on our life, on God, and on the love of Jesus. And I think that's certainly something that we can be thinking of doing in our own uh, uh, in our own spaces as well so i i just like last year i had prepared a, a pdf of i select scriptural texts that I, i'll send out to you all tonight i'll send it to the ICUS group if you are not interested in doing it sorry about that but you might find that uh, as a way of like uh, guiding you through the week 
and asking the question, who is this man? This question, of course, comes from the text that we're looking at today in Matthew chapter 21. Uh, so let's read that and then let's uh, spend some time in reflecting on uh, the events of Palm Sunday. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 13. I'm reading from the NIV, uh, New International Version. The triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them, of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, branch, and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So this is probably the all too well-known story of Palm Sunday. And I think it's so well-known that sometimes we, it's so easy to miss the wonder and the, <laughs> the, the surprises and the element of amazement that are in this story. But let's just follow the story and uh, go really quickly into, into the narrative, try to get into the, into, the, um, into the shoes of the people there. We have to remember Jesus was very popular at this point. He was a healer. Uh, a few chapters back in Matthew 20, Matthew 14, 15, he heals the blind. He feeds 5,000 people. He feeds 4,000 people. He heals many people. Uh, when, he had, when he fed the 5,000 people, it's written in another gospel that he became so popular, they wanted him to be king. So Jesus was at this point, uh, we could say the height of his, uh, of his uh, popularity and uh, mass appeal. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, and the whole city was stirred, and they're like, wait, who is this guy? Like, uh, so much hype. The disciples, the followers were making a lot of noise. The whole city was hyped up. And we can imagine the city people almost peeping out of the windows, like, wait, what's going on? Like, is, who, who is this guy really? I'm sure they know who is Jesus, but they're asking it in a more reflective kind of way. Like, what, wait, who is this guy again? Like, is, is he worth this much hype? And... To be honest, like sometimes I feel like I'm the one up there in the window. Like I couldn't be bothered with what's going on around. Um, I don't have time, especially like these days. So like so much things to do, and suddenly Easter's rolling in, and like wait, who's this guy? Like like I know that we're supposed to be taking him seriously, but who's this guy again? And I think that's that's a good question for us. To, I think to to uh, be thinking about throughout this week. So let's ask the same question today and. Uh, as we go through the text that I'll be sending out to you. 
Who is this guy? Should I be joining in in this, in this praise? Shouldn't I be joining in in this praise? It's a question of introspection for us. How should I respond to this today? Right? Uh, Jesus, who is loved and honored and followed by billions of people around the world and through history. Who is this guy? The crowd, of course, has, they, they have their own story. They have their own expectations. Uh, we might ask, why is this such a big deal? Like, why is it so stirring that the whole city is stirred up? Why is this so evocative that the event, uh, you know, like uh, hyped up the whole city? We might ask that. And in order to fully, I mean, in order to understand that in a deeper way, we have to look at the text that is quoted here in Matthew chapter 21. And this quotation is in verse 5. The, the short quotation that's uh, mentioned here in Matthew 21 verse 5 comes from Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah is one of the minor prophets towards the end of the Bible. And in the context of the study that we're actually doing currently in Ichthus or Nehemiah, you might be interested that Zechariah is actually in the same, almost the same timeline as Nehemiah. Uh, 100 years before Nehemiah, but the same issues. Like you might remember that the Jews were scattered around the world and um, the Persian king Cyrus had allowed them to go back and rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall. You remember, I think you might remember those uh, events. And here the people of the Jews were almost uh, hoping again. They, they had gone through so many disappointments. They had their beloved city, their beloved temple has been uh, demolished um, by the Babylonians and, and uh, the walls had broken down. And now they, they have hope for restoration of Israel. Maybe, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's a king who's coming. And it is in that context that Zechariah chapter 9 comes in. And Zechariah the prophet talks about a coming king. People anticipating the prophecy of a coming king. Um, maybe when Zechariah prophesied it um, 500 years before Jesus, maybe when they saw Zerubbabel, the, the guy who was assigned by Cyrus, maybe they looked at him and said, wait, could it be this guy? Right? Maybe they saw Nehemiah, the, the, the leader of the people, and they thought, maybe, could it be Nehemiah who is supposed to be the king? And so they had this hope, this expectation for something that's going to happen, the king that's going to come and sort out all of the mess that they find themselves in. And actually something did happen. And you don't find this recorded in the Bible, but in, in the Protestant, uh, the, uh, the Bible that we have, but we find it in the story of the Maccabees. Uh, there was something called the Maccabean Revolt in which uh, the, the, the brothers, the Maccabean family, the brothers, defeated the enemies of the Jews. This was 130, 150 years before Jesus. This was a military revolt. And this was one generation before Jesus when Simon Maccabees, Maccabee drove the enemies of Israel out of Jerusalem. And after the victory, when Simon Maccabee came back to Jerusalem, the people celebrated by waving palm branches. When Simon Maccabee came into the city, the people raised palm branches and they sang and made music and they, with hymns and songs. 
they praised God and they, um, they uh, honored this Simon Maccabee. And he went straight to the temple and brought re um, reforms to the temple as well. Now, the people of Jerusalem, when they see Simon Maccabee, maybe they thought, okay, here comes the king that, has, that Zechariah promised. Here is the king that has been promised to us. Um, so before Jesus, before Palm Sunday, there was this loaded, this electric kind of expectation by the people for a coming king. There was this hope that goes all the way back to Zechariah and Nehemiah, right? Uh, there's this hope that um, in a time of humiliation, just like we saw in our study of Nehemiah, in a time of brokenness and desperate hope for redemption, desperate hope that God will vindicate them in the midst of all that, there was this loaded and uh, vivid expectation for a king. And it was this expectation that Matthew says Jesus fulfilled, that Jesus is that king. He is that coming king that the people had been waiting for. So Jesus comes in as prophesied on a donkey and the people raise their palm leaves just like they did for Simon Maccabee. Um, just like, um, yeah, for, and um, the, they raised the palm branches and they shouted uh, praises to him. In other words, what are the crowd doing? What, what are they saying when they do this? They are, they are looking at Jesus. They're proclaiming Jesus as the king. They're proclaiming Jesus as the king, like Simon Maccabee, the, mili the military king, uh, like Simon Maccabee. But you, you know this, how the story ends. Like, it's not as straightforward as that. Um, there, are some, there are a few things that were almost contradictory. Like, uh, for example, if you look closely at Zechariah chapter 9, you realize, yes, there's kingship, but there's also humility. There's like blood, there's, uh, and there's bloodshed, there's forgiveness, there's peace for the nations. And if you look at Jesus coming into Jerusalem, it's so contradictory. Like, this guy is supposed to be a king, but he's on a donkey. He has no royal line. He has no military army behind him. He's from Nazareth, like the, the village Nazareth. I mean, what kind of a king is this, right? So there's so much things that are contradictory in, in this moment. Jesus was not quite the king that they were looking for. And this was quite confusing. It must have been quite confusing for the people. And that was, of course, because Jesus was precisely that. He was not that king that they were looking for, who is, mili uh, who is uh, a military leader and who is a political leader. Instead, Jesus was humble. He was lowly. He allowed himself to be humiliated. Um, and the people did not understand that. They, cannot, they could not understand that yet, at least. They thought their king had arrived. They thought this was a time for celebration, a time for triumph. And so they went out into the streets and honored Jesus, just like they did to David, King David, or to the Maccabees. All will be well, they thought. And this was why they praised. They, they came out to the streets and praised Jesus. What did Jesus uh, demonstrate? Uh, according to Jesus, who is this? Uh, who, who is he according to his, in his own words, let's say? Um, in his own depiction, how did Jesus depict himself or how did Jesus portray himself in this uh, narrative, in this story? Quickly, if you quickly go through, you realize that Jesus is 
very intentional about this event, this Palm Sunday. Uh, very clearly we're told that Jesus told the disciples in verse 2, go to the village, get a donkey. It's very specific, like donkey and that particular donkey. If somebody says this, say that. He has something very clearly planned out in his head. And the, um, to put it short, the very specific direction that he had to portray himself is that he's, he's supposed to sit on a donkey and go into Jerusalem. The sign of donkey is, of course, the sign of humility. Uh, but it's not just humility. It's also about peace. Um, white flag that may be more relevant in our context. Um, to, for Jesus to come riding in a donkey is to announce his intention that he comes in peace, that he comes to reconcile. Right? Um, it was the people who picked up palm branches. It was the people who laid the clothes on the ground. But as far as Jesus is concerned, He's very specific that he goes in on a donkey. Uh, quite different from um, Simon Maccabees, who came riding in a horse after the victory. Uh, he, for Jesus, his intentionality was that he was to come riding on a donkey. We also see there's another thing that uh, in Jesus' mind, and that is that he goes straight to the temple. He goes into the city of Jerusalem, and he goes straight into the temple. Again, in my mind, this echoes King David and Simon Maccabees. Um, Simon Maccabees, after the, defeating the enemies of the Jews, he went straight to the temple to cleanse the temple because they were idols that were made in, in God's temple. Echoing that almost, Jesus also goes to the temple and he cleanses the, temp the, the temple. But his cleansing was slightly different. He went and in, in a in an, um, very memorable scene, he goes and upturns the table of the money changers. He uh, takes out uh, a whip and he um, basically chases out the doves and the animals that were used for business purpose. He chases out the money changers. And this is the moment when uh, we see Jesus angry and passionate about justice and um, yeah, uh, um, really displaying that in a vivid way. So Jesus has another plan. We see Jesus had another plan and he goes to the temple. He cle cleans the temple. He restores the temple as a place of worship and as a place of uh, relating with God. In other scenes, in other depictions in the, the Gospels, uh, we see another thing that Jesus does on Palm Sunday. Uh, uh, in any case, which is related to Palm Sunday, which is that when Jesus saw the city, he wept. He shed his tears. Um, and I think, yeah, I think, again, that's such a, a moving picture of what was in the mind of Jesus, right, when he was coming into Jerusalem. Like everybody is praising him. Everything seems to be going well. And here we have, we have Jesus overwhelmed with sorrow. And if you read the text that, uh, that goes with that, uh, Jesus uh, wept because the people of Israel had missed uh, when God appeared to them, when in God's visitation, as they say. In other words, Jesus was uh, the Son of God who appeared to them, sent by God, and the people had missed it. The people had uh, rejected him. And he, he was sorrow, extremely sorrowed in, uh, in acknowledging that. So how does Jesus portray himself in his own words, in his own uh, symbols and signs? 
He is making very explicit claims that he is that king. He is the hope of Israel. And he is the promised ruler of all the nations. He is the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. And, but his kingship, his, uh, his authority is different because his authority is one of humility. His work is one of humility. He, was a, he, he is a lowly king. He's going to do great things, but he's going to do great things through his humiliation and through his sacrifice. I like what one commentator puts uh, right, and he puts it like this, and let me just quote the whole thing here. Jesus' triumph is very different from Maccabees or of Persia and Rome. It was through the cross and not the sword. The cross is his triumphal weapon, just as his regality is associated to a donkey rather than a war horse. And his goals are different. The Maccabees were aimed at liberating Israel from the nations, keeping Israel pure and undefiled from Gentiles. However, Jesus' liberation of the temple is a fine counterpoint to that, a liberation of Israel and the temple for the nations. Because of Jesus, the nations have peace. Not just Israel, but the world has peace because of Jesus. And that's a wonderful way to sum up what uh, Palm Sunday, what the work of Jesus means uh, for, for the world, not just for Israel. Um, I want to conclude with one last um, thing that stands out to me the most this time, uh, this time around reading this text. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, um, the people laid clothes and leaves on the ground. Maybe they thought, they, maybe this is their logic. This is a hero, this, he's a holy man, he's uh, a prophet, uh, he's, he's holy, we should keep something so that he doesn't touch the ground. He doesn't defile himself with the dirt. Uh, so there's a sense of holiness and sacredness so that the, the purity, the righteousness of Jesus will not be defiled. In this way, they were honoring and respect, being respectful to Jesus. But we know that this isn't how Jesus showed his power and victory, right? Uh, far from being untouched from the ground, from the soil and the mud and the dust, and far from being perfectly sanitized, we know that in a few days, Jesus would be stripped naked. He would be struck to the ground. Like he would, the dirty gravel and the, the, the dirty mud uh, would touch him. He would fall to the ground and his, his very lifeblood would mix with the dirt and the soil of the ground. And he would be buried under the ground, under the dirt, under the... Uh, the uh, um, um, the, the gravel and the mud, he will be buried on the earth. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But it's also because the Holy King was struck to the ground. It's because the Holy King was uh, falls to the ground that now the ground and all that there is in this earth can become holy, can become sacred. The dirt, the, the mud, the mess, the brokenness, all of this Jesus embraced, right? And it's because of his humiliation, his lowliness, that we find we who are sinful, we who are scarred and broken and fallen, even we have the hope that we can also be lifted up. So that is who Jesus is. And I, I just want to invite us uh, during this week uh, to be confronted by the question, 
just like the people of Jerusalem were confronted by that question uh, on Palm Sunday. Who is this guy? Who is this guy again? Who is this man who makes such bold, outrageous claims and appears in humility and lowliness? Who is this man whom billions of people around the world in true history uh, cling to and find refuge and forgiveness in? Who is this man? How are we going to respond to this lowly king? As he shows us through the signs and through his actions, uh, he can cleanse us and he can restore us because he has shed his blood for our redemption. Because it is his blood that buys us our forgiveness and our redemption. So I, I invite you um, through this week and on Friday and of course on, uh, as we celebrate on Sunday as well to think about this and uh, let, let, it, um, yeah, uh, let it move us to respond in worship and in surrender in discipleship. Um, so um, let me say a prayer and then we will uh, continue to respond through uh, the rest of the songs. Uh, shall we pray? Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for your son who lived on this earth and who walked this earth just like us. Um, and just as the people in Jerusalem cried out to you on that day, Hosanna, save us. We pray that to you as well. We cry to you as well. You ask that you'll have mercy on us because you are the savior of all. We ask that you'll find us in these forsaken places and you will forgive what we have done and who we have been. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring us home again and impart with us a new song of joy and celebration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.